In today's episode, I'll break down the components of a successful performance. By breaking down what contributes to good performance, you will be better able to understand where to focus your limited energy. There are too many people struggling to do what they want, and focusing on the components of performance has helped me shortcut what I need to focus on when I fail. What we are really doing here is breaking down performance into understandable parts. We can then separate those pieces into manageable chunks to work on. The components that I have picked out are rules of the game, skill level, confidence, the naysayer in our head, Bob, training, and I'll end with accessibility. In any activity, there are standards dictating if someone did well or if they did poorly. Sometimes this is based on performance, like in the case of cooking, where we only have to worry about what we are doing. But sometimes the standards are based on our performance compared with the performance of others, like in the case of a game of soccer. These standards make up the rules of the game that everyone will have to play by in order to participate in the first place. I think the most important part of this is understanding that there are parameters that are governing our success, and learning what those are is a fundamental step towards doing well at our selected activity. Let's start with an example to contextualize what I'm saying. We'll start with juggling. So I want you to think for a moment. What are the rules of juggling? I start with this example because it's not immediately obvious what the rules are, or even that there are rules in the first place. And by rules, I'm referring to everything that dictates if the activity is performed successfully or not. To juggle successfully, objects are thrown in the air, caught, and then repeated. Let's make it simple and say that we are juggling tennis balls. There are a few variables to think about. There's the tennis balls, the way we toss the balls, forces that act on the tennis ball while in the air, and finally, our ability to catch the ball. Each of these variables falls on a scale that goes from ideal to detrimental. For example, we could try to juggle tennis balls that have just seen the light of day for the first time. Or we could try to juggle tennis balls that have been at the bottom of our grandma's walker for the past six years. Putting the examples on the scale, the newer tennis balls will be much more ideal and less detrimental than the old and well-used ones. Pick any of the parts involved in juggling, and you can find two extremes to put on the scale. By thinking about the extreme examples on both sides, I make it more obvious for myself what is happening. Here's a scenario for you. I decide to juggle my three tennis balls on a warm spring day, and I find that something is just not working correctly. I know I can juggle normally, but for some reason I'm doing really bad today. I run through my checklist and notice the following. I have the tennis balls that worked for me yesterday. I'm able to start throwing the balls in my normal pattern and arc. There are clouds in the sky that evenly distributes the light, and it's not even windy. But every time I attempt to catch the tennis balls, they keep slipping and feeling weird in my left hand. I then look down and see my specifically not Band-Aid brand bandages I put on my fingers yesterday after I fell. My fingers don't really hurt, and it's not like I lost any feeling in them. So I try rubbing my fingers over the Welly brand bandages on the first knuckle of each of my fingers, and it's quite smooth, especially with how sweaty I am while trying to juggle in the heat. I take one of my tennis balls in my hands to test my grip, and sure enough, when it rubs along the strip of tie-dye, the ball shifts and slips, confusing the muscle memory I've been building up. With this example, I want to highlight that going through and diagnosing each part individually can give you helpful information about what's happening with your performance. There can be times where a few or even every component that I look into is detrimental to my performance. 
as in, I could have been using my grandma's tennis balls on a windy day with no ability to throw the balls even close to my hands, let alone try to catch it. Fixing the environment is pretty easy. I can come back on a different day, or find a place in my house with high enough ceilings to juggle inside. But something I could also focus on is my skill level. I would like to clear up some misunderstandings about the differences between innate talent versus trained skill, as I think our society views these topics in an unhealthy way. When someone is automatically good at something, we say this person has talent. Which is fine, I don't have a problem with that. However, there are a lot of people who use other people's talents to demean themselves, and it's pretty toxic. They will see other people and say, I could never be that good at something. But that's simply not the case. Talent is simply the starting point for skill level. If someone has a lot of talent, that means they have started off with a lot of skill. That's all it means, however. A prodigy of piano may realize later in life that they actually don't like the piano anymore, so they stop playing and lose a lot of their abilities. Or a person could start off not knowing how to do anything right, but train to become the best in the world. Talent does not equal fate. I think we compare ourselves too much to other people and freeze when we see that other people are better than us. This doesn't need to happen, and quite frankly, it doesn't make any sense. If we step back and compare our performance to humanities, there will always be someone performing at a higher level than us. It's just going to happen. So to see one person that's more accomplished or talented than us, and then decide that's all it takes to quit is pretty silly. What we can do, however, is compare ourselves to the past versions of ourselves. People like to say to focus on being better than you were yesterday. Focusing on the short term can help us to make progress a more active part of our lives. But I also find value in looking at a year back or five years back to see how much we have improved. Five years ago for me, I would be about to finish my freshman year of college. Since then, I have joined and led fraternities. I built my computer. I have recorded songs. I married the mother of my child. I got a piano and my first tattoo. I started listening to audiobooks and so much more. If I have changed so much in the last five years, why would that not continue in the next five? Live your life like you're going to look back in five years and think to yourself, boy, am I glad to have started learning Japanese. Now I can hold conversations with native speakers. Or, wow, I can't believe I wrote a book. I actually did that. Take those leaps into learning new things, even if it seems like it will take a long time. Because before you know it, that long time will have passed and you will have either done the thing that you have always wanted to do, or you will have delayed your start by even more time. Above all else, remember that skills can be picked up and improved. Don't ever think that you can't get better at something just because you don't understand it or absolutely suck at it at first. You are much more capable than how you start off. Another trait that is great to know for improving your functioning rapidly is being confident. Now this might be the scariest to train, but it's something that I would want to focus on if I were to do my life over. I think Adam Savage, one of the hosts of Mythbusters, described this concept really well. For context, Adam was talking about blade safety and perfecting his skills of making clean cuts. He gave a few safety guidelines to follow, like cutting away from yourself, so if you slip, you won't cut yourself. He also said to keep a sharp blade so that you never have to force the blade. Forcing means that you are not in control, which can be dangerous. He then went on to talk about having confidence in his strokes. I'm paraphrasing here, but when you watch the expert, he said, they are relaxed and confident in their cuts. See what I would do 
is get so stressed out about messing up that I would tense up and that would show in the rigid and sawed lines I made. So he tried to emulate the confidence he saw and had great success. I think this can be applied to learning new things too. Having confidence, even when we don't know what we are doing, allows us to relax and focus on doing our best. If we make mistakes, we make them boldly. And because they are so in your face and obvious, that makes it all the easier to realize what we need to work on. I had a band teacher that would always tell us to make bold mistakes, otherwise he wouldn't be able to know what we needed to work on. One of my beliefs is that our thoughts have a lot of power over us. When our thoughts are negative all the time, and we always believe the negative things we say about ourselves, we are priming our mind for failure. Instead, I think we should focus on being courageous. I pick courage because it allows us to have fear and doubts about what we are about to do. With courage, though, we can still act despite what holds us back. There is a type of ride in big amusement parks that essentially straps you to the end of a long rope or tether. And all that they do is clip another rope to the first that slowly and carefully pulls you up to one side. Once there, they let you release your tether from the rope that pulled you up so that you are free to arc and pendulum back and forth. When I describe it that way, it doesn't sound that bad. And objectively, it is very safe as long as there is no wind to push you to the sides. But experientially, you have just been slowly dragged up 50 feet into the air and are told, okay, release the only thing that's keeping you from falling. And that's a tough ask. Even if we can rationally know it's going to be okay and that we are safe, we viscerally feel like our life is in danger. Yet even in this scenario, thousands of people are able to pull that cord and are rewarded with quite the experience. For a brief moment, you feel devoid of any protection. You are truly weightless. All of the tension that was holding you in place the moment before suddenly releases and your stomach goes into your throat. You feel like this is how you're going to die and then oof, the harness catches again and then the fun starts. What I want to highlight from this is the courage it takes to do what we want. There might be other decisions in our life that feel so scary when we need to make them. And once we make that decision, it's common to feel ungrounded and like we may plummet to our doom. But that rope and harness will catch you and take you on the journey you wanted to go on. I do want to continue to apply this analogy to our lives because there are still a few things I want to highlight. To start, the operators make sure that the weather is good for a safe swing. Sometimes, if the wind is mild, the ride is unsafe only if there isn't enough weight. So when this happens, and only one person wants to go up for a ride, some of the workers will volunteer to go up with you. So in all cases, the riders can only ride when it's perfectly safe to do so. In our lives, I think we should also do safety checks to make sure that when we pull that release, we pull it with courage and not recklessness. Practically, before I decide to get a dog, I might spend two weeks pretending like I spent money on dog food. And I'll also set a timer for every three hours to see what it would be like to have to stop what I'm doing and take the dog out. By doing this, I'm testing if I will be able to have a dog with my current skills. But if not, I know what I need to work on. In this case, having more money on hand, or having a schedule that allows for frequent bathroom breaks. Another example is with moving jobs. Similarly to trying to do the swing on a mild windy day, sometimes a decision has more risk than normal, but is doable with the right safety measures. Maybe I want to move, so not only do I have to have the means to buy or rent a place to stay, I will also need to have a job before my remaining savings deplete. So instead of just getting a place and hoping things work out, maybe I will have already put in applications to multiple suitable jobs, or even have accepted a job prior to finalizing my home arrangements. 
Therefore, more risk does not mean that I can't do something, just that I should be proportionally prepared. And I again want to make the note that you can improve at any of your skills. You are capable. And in the next section, I want to address the naysayers in our brains. Let's call him Bob. See, Bob wants everything to stay the same. He says he is more than comfortable where he is, and there is no reason to move. We can even tell Bob, no, there are great reasons to move. There's high winds, and they say there's a chance of thunderstorms. Bob will make very good arguments against you. It's a great day to fly a kite. You know how we've always wanted to fly that thing. Thunderstorms? We really needed that water, honestly. You know, I get so parched, and I hear that it's almost like a light show. How fun! This is a hyperbolic example, of course, and your Bob's argument will sound different than my Bob's. And I also want to say that sometimes, what Bob tells us is absolute nonsense, but will still convince us to stick to the status quo. And why is this? I don't know. Bob's got control of our feelings, and if logic doesn't work, he convinces us with feelings of discomfort towards change and rewards us for doing what feels safe. Don't let Bob convince you against doing what you know you need to do. Be determined and disciplined enough to make the choices that will benefit you in the long run. Because I have to tell you, Bob has already controlled a lot of your life, and the sooner you can make decisions that Bob doesn't agree with, the quicker you will be able to take control over your life. Dr. K, a psychiatrist and the founder of Healthy Gamer, talks about this concept in a different way. But at the end, he gave an intervention that works even for people struggling with addictions. So just to emphasize this point, this works for people with a chemical dependence to a substance, fight their bobs, telling them, no, don't quit, one more puff, come on, you know it'll feel good. The technique is called surfing the wave. The wave represents our desires, and it can come in with tremendous force, sweeping us towards things that we enjoy, but might be bad for our long-term happiness. To surf on the wave is to be an observer and not get swept away in what Bob is desperately trying to get us to do. Practically, this means to do nothing. Stop yourself and simply write out the desire. Your brain will eventually get bored and move on to thinking about something else. This may seem odd at first, but you know how when you eat a sweet, the first bite is packed full of flavor. But as you eat more and more, you start to taste it less and less. Yeah, what's happening is your brain is getting acclimated to the taste and is starting to not affect you nearly as much. The same thing will happen when you ride the wave of desires. When I ride the wave, I always remind myself that eventually, the wave is going to take me to the shore where I can go about my day again. And I'll be honest, there might be a few waves that you have to ride in one period of time to make it to shore, but you will get there. Your brain will eventually get bored of your cravings and will accept you moving on to what you wanted to do. Great. So now let's assume that you will be able to do the things that you wanted to do. How should you train to get better? And what's the progression going to be like? This is assuming, of course, that what we are wanting to do is not the binary, did I do this or not? Like you wouldn't need to train brushing your teeth. Assuming you'll follow the routine that your dentist recommends, that's either something you do or don't do. But there are a lot of things that have a high skill ceiling, as in, even if you have spent hundreds or thousands of hours on it, it doesn't guarantee that you will have reached the highest skill level for that activity. A good example is chess, where the rules of the game are fairly simple. This piece moves this way, and this piece moves that way. But when you get into the theory of it, it's honestly pretty ridiculous how much there is to learn to be good at the game. Anyways, what I want to help you do is train as effectively and efficiently as you can. I feel like this is one of my strongest subjects, as I learn random things all the time. This is going to be difficult to explain abstractly, as there is a list of possible ways to train, 
that will only apply in some cases and not others. So we're going to go through an example and see where it leads us. Let's say that I'm learning how to rock climb. So I go to my local rock wall and I start bouldering, just kind of doing my thing. And as I keep coming back, I'm going to naturally become better. My muscles get stronger and I start to intuitively get better at shifting my weight. But at a certain point, I'm going to plateau and I'm going to need to learn better techniques to continue improving. I can either get a coach or a skilled climber to give me some tips, but I can also go online and look up techniques on my own. In my first week of research, I get the advice to use my legs more and to think about climbing as a series of steps that I perform while keeping myself on the wall with my hands. And that week I try it and it works pretty well for me. I'm getting burnt out slower and can practice more as a result. I'm still not satisfied, however. So I look for even more techniques. And this time, I learned to let my grip do most of the work by leaning out more when I climb overhanged walls. Otherwise, I'll tire myself out unnecessarily by flexing my muscles to stay close to the wall. And progressively, I continued to get better. I learned to bring my feet up towards my hands to stop overextending myself. And I learned to keep my legs on the wall at all times and to shift my weight towards the holds that I'm going for. What I want to highlight is that the progression for anything is usually gradual. I don't learn everything all at once. And I will often have to practice multiple times to incorporate what I learned into my normal routine before I can learn anything new. Therefore, I think it's a good idea to prep yourself for gradual progress. Don't let your Bob convince you that it's going to take too long, so why bother? You should instead follow your command because your decisions are in your best interest. You have thought through your reasons for changing and decided that changing was the correct course for you. So listen to the rational part of you and tell Bob to shove it. I would also check out my episodes on motivation or a better life for more tips on finding reasons to pursue actions. Finally, I want to talk about accessibility. This is a topic that usually only comes up in the context of bigger ticket items. Access to housing, medical treatment, clean water, those types of things. But accessibility is also asking questions like, do I have the right pair of sneakers to be running? Do I have a diet that will support my workouts? And am I able to afford to change it? When I was growing up, I didn't have access to many things, but what I did have access to is ingenuity. Maybe I didn't have weights, but I had cans of soup. Maybe I didn't have a climbing wall, but I did have trees. I want to empower you to find alternatives to the items that you need if you are unable to get the exact item. The quality is going to vary wildly depending on what you need and what you have on hand. But I think it helped me the most when I was able to open my mind to see objects for how they served me rather than what they are advertised as. Maybe what I need is a sword to practice my sword fighting. Let's pretend like I don't have a $100 sword that I bought at a historical themed campus event back in 2019. What I will need is a sturdy length of material about the size of a walking cane. I don't specifically need wood or PVC or cardboard because I can find a piece of rebar that fits my needs or I can find a stick in the woods. It doesn't have to be a specific thing. I would and still do sometimes look around my house for an item with specific qualities to it. Maybe I need something small, thin, and sturdy. So I break off a piece of an old fence I use for my guinea pigs. And if at the end of that, you still don't have what you need for the activity that you want to do, yet you really, really want to practice, try to find an alternative activity that trains similar skills that you would be able to do. I don't have a pull-up bar, so I got a medium-sized stick. If I don't have a pull-up bar, I should get a medium-sized stick and put it in between chairs and do an upside-down push-up, which in this case would be a pull-up but the form looks more like a push-up. Anyways, find a modification and start working towards what you actually want. Maybe that means budgeting. 
Maybe that means shopping around on eBay or sites specifically for getting your items cheaply. Or maybe it involves borrowing it from a library or a person that has it. There is always more that you can be doing to achieve in life. And the only barrier that matters is how much time and energy you are willing to spend dealing with Bob's shit. But that's going to be a choice you will have to make for yourself. Do I really want to push past the constant nagging going on in my head? Is this thing worth it to a future me to have worked for? I'm not going to be able to answer these questions for you. But I do wish you luck if this is something that you struggle with. To recap, today's episode focused on performance. I started by talking about the rules on your activity and figuring out what is required to be successful. By breaking down your activity, you can more easily diagnose what's going wrong and where to focus your attention. I then talked about skill level, and the main takeaway from that section was that skill can be improved no matter someone's starting talent. I then talked about confidence and making sure that we are actively prepared to have a good performance, both in safety measures but also to stay relaxed like the experts. I then discussed Bob and how he will often get in the way of what we want, but to surf the waves that send you crashing into the status quo. I finally talked about accessibility, whenever possible to find alternatives while we work towards obtaining our desired items. That's the episode, but if you liked what you listened to, please leave a rating and follow for more content. Your interaction helps the platform know that I put out quality work, which allows it to reach more people. Thanks for listening. I'll see you soon. Peace.